Our communion meditation is from Numbers, Numbers chapter 11. Now this is the first time we've been in Numbers for these. We've done eight, this is the ninth. The first two were uh, outside of uh, where they were actually misbehaving, and it was just more of an overview of why we were doing this series on the uh, wilderness, end of the wilderness. And yet, this, the ninth message, we're finally out of Exodus, we're up to Numbers. We're in Numbers 11, and it is the second year, the second month, the 20th day after they've left Egypt. And so we know that because uh, the writer, Moses, is very precise at times when he records these days. We'd had six instances of disobedience so far, and all of them, all of them occurred within the first three months. Uh, we had instances of fear when they were up against the Red Sea, and they were afraid of Pharaoh's army, and yet God had intentionally driven them there, and then made them wait for days while waiting for Pharaoh to catch up. And then instances of thirst, hunger, uh, errors in the manna, what they wanted to uh, store what they gathered, and then they wanted to gather on the Sabbath, and then again thirst, and then idolatry, with everyone making that uh, golden calf and worshiping it. Now, let me read the text here. I wanted to give you that background first, but let me read you verse uh, 1 through 3 of chapter 11. Now, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Tiberah because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would open our minds and our uh, understanding so that we can see clearly what it is that you want to share with us today. In Christ's name, amen. When you read that first sentence in Numbers 11, verse 1, now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord you would naturally think to go back into the latter part of chapter 10 and see what exactly was this complaint. But I challenge you to do it. Because there's nothing clear as to what they were complaining about. It's kind of mysterious as to what specifically they were complaining about. But really, when you read the narrative, and you read Numbers 10, and then you come to 11, 1, I think you can have a better understanding if you'd really been reading for understanding, if you'd really been tracking in Numbers 10 what was going on. Let's go back into 10, and I want to read a couple of key verses. 10, again starting at verse 11. Now it came to pass on the 20th day of the second month in the second year, what I referred to earlier, that the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle of the testimony. And the children of Israel set out from the wilderness of Sinai on their journeys. Then the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they started out for the first time according to the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So they'd been sitting here for nine months, and that cloud had remained stationary. And then it moved. And they'd been told they had to move when the cloud moved. And so they did. So they packed up. They moved, right? Now, where did they move? Let's look at verse 33. So they departed from the mountain of the Lord on a journey of three days, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them for the three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. So they, millions of people, 
packed up all this stuff, took a whole day to do it. And then they moved three days journey and then they started setting up camp again because the clouds stopped. We are witnessing the largest camping trip ever in the history of planet Earth. And if you like camping, you might relate to this. If you don't like camping, I know you relate to this. So see, they only traveled three days. That was a lot of work to pack them all up and get them going just to stop three days later. Now I ask you again, what do you think they were complaining about? Much ado about nothing, right? Why on earth did we pack up all this stuff just to move three days and set it all back up again? This is silly. That's what they're thinking. That's what many of them are whining about. Now, perhaps you love camping. Perhaps you find it hard to relate to this. Perhaps you love the deprivations of going camping. Those cold showers in the morning. Those cold tents at night when you're supposed to take off your clothes, but you really are reluctant to, right? So you want to crawl into that sleeping bag with all your stinky, smelly, smoky clothes on. But see, camping trips try our patience. We're not naturally patient anyway. And so it gets much harder when we are inconvenienced as we are with a camping trip. There are two of you that learned just how long Michael Elliott's legs are when he's out hiking in the, in the mountains. He walks fast and he walks far and it's very inconvenient to keep up with him. I learned how miserable camping was. I'd grown up and I thought camping was fun. But then I tried to camp across the country on our honeymoon, and some of you have heard some of those stories. You've heard my wife comment on that, that silly, silly plan I had of camping across the country on our honeymoon. We ended up staying in more hotels than I had originally intended. So see, these Israelites had led a fairly sedentary existence in Egypt. They didn't have to camp. They had homes in Goshen. They were slaves, but yet they were sedentary. They had homes that they could live in. They had pots and food, and, and it was as comfortable existence as they could probably hope for in that area. But so now this is the first time. Now, for the first initial weeks and months, they were just fleeing for their lives. But they've had nine months to grow accustomed to life in this camp around Mount Sinai. And suddenly it's all gone. Pack up, we're leaving. How far did they go? Three days. Why did we go here? Nobody knows. Only God knows and, and he's taken the form of that cloud and only he talks to Moses. We don't want to. So you see there's a lot of frustration here with these people. Many complained is what the text says. Now, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. What was God doing? What was God doing by consuming some of the people on the outskirts of this camp for their complaining? You know what he was doing? He was setting up a deterrent for future complaining. He's getting them accustomed to 39 more years of camping. Decamping, setting up camp. Decamping, setting up camp. And God is not going to put up with this complaining. 
And so if you ever hear this talk about the death penalty is not a deterrent, you have biblical evidence that God believes otherwise because he killed these people for complaining. And I, it's my guess that they weren't as quick to complain in the future when they had to decamp and recamp. So they might not be believers, as we know many of them weren't, but yet he's training them to abide by his rules and do so with closed lips, be thankful. So now, we live at a time when we have so many comforts. Now that's perhaps true for most people through time. It, we just kind of get more and more comfortable. It seems like the way that God has blessed us in this world. But when we lack those comforts that we take for granted each day, even when we voluntarily entered into a camping environment, we are so quick to complain. Now, it's one thing if we've elected to go do this, but when it's forced upon us, we're even more justified in our complaints, aren't we? Something we value, something that makes us comfortable has been taken away, and we want it back. We don't like this new situation. We want the old situation. But see, all of these are instances of us having to learn how to detach our affections from that which is not permanent and attach our affections to God who is permanent and who has given us all these blessings anyway. And so we must learn to be thankful for him and not so much for these comforts that we have. And Paul really said it so well that he had learned to be content in all of these circumstances. With food and clothing, he found himself content, regardless of whether he was dwelling in a king's palace or uh, just washed up on shore of an island, having been swimming in the open sea for a day or two. He was content. And so we likewise, when we come to the Lord's table, what we are coming for is setting our affections on God alone and allowing all the comforts of this earth to be secondary, to be counted as rubbish, really, in many regards, in comparison to the Lord. We have much to be thankful for, many, many earthly blessings, but yet this, our God, just makes all of that pale by comparison. And so God loves us, and this table is proof of that. And so let's thank him for this love and be thankful. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your presence, and we ask you to enter into our hearts to have us to draw close to you. May we not uh, value uh, sin or the comforts of this world uh, more than time spent with you. And so may each of us, Lord, learn this, and sometimes it is through discipline, sometimes it is through example, and uh, as these people who had to die on the outskirts of the camp by fire for having been complainers, and yet, Lord, we know they were not alone. So many must have been complaining. So we pray that you would school us, that you would train us, that you would lead us, and that we would be thankful for your presence with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.